we get set up here and my guys can come on up. I'm going to transfer the mic, hopefully. All right. Well, uh, we've been journeying through heaven and uh, looking towards that. And so I thought in this, uh, typically I was kind of thinking of this sermon series, and I thought, well, there's a lot of things that get asked about heaven that don't necessarily fit into the flow of one uh, sermon with the beginning, middle, and end. And I thought, well, God's given us an excellent resource of some wisdom uh, within our church. And so... Uh, I invited our elders to come on up today and help me answer some questions that uh, are common about heaven. And um, a young one wanted to be here today. You can be praying for him. He got called in last minute. Something's going on uh, with this dad, and we know that's been a challenge uh, off and on. And so um, we're going to be looking at various passages of Scripture today, and as we walk through, we'll kind of hit on different topics and questions within there. And so I wanted to open us up just with an excellent passage of encouragement in uh, the Gospel of John. And so uh, his disciples were quite troubled that uh, Jesus had been telling him, and John 14 is where I'll be, and uh, they were quite troubled. Jesus had been predicting he was going to die, and then he just predicted that the most outspoken, the leader amongst them, Peter, was going to actually deny him and turn away from Jesus. And and so following that up, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, as we enter into our conversation today, we want to start and talk about, okay, Jesus said, he is the only way to heaven. And so, that brings up the question for us, is salvation. How do we get to heaven? How do we know that heaven is our home? Well, the Bible tells us that we must believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and then rose again on the third day. Those who believe in him will be with him in heaven. He is the way. Well, what about somebody who's never heard that message of the gospel that I just shared? What about somebody who never had the opportunity to hear the gospel? That's a common question. Tribes or peoples that are, we haven't discovered or reached yet or never heard during their lifetime. How do we deal with that? Um, uh, Jerome, do you want to give us some insight on how we kind of understand that question through Scripture? Sure. I, I think that before answering the question, it's, it's good to, as you're talking to people and if that question comes up, to try to determine you know where that's coming from if if it's actually a, a real question that they have or if it's more of a, an excuse i say that because there are um sometimes people will come up with things like you know we'll look at all the suffering in the world how could there be a god 
because of that. And and so I think many times if we look a little bit deeper, we may find that there are other issues that need to be addressed. But if that question is the is the real question that they're they're grappling with, then um, there are some answers in Scripture. Um, one of them, I just want to give you a couple of verses that hopefully will be helpful. But in uh, Romans one, verses eighteen through twenty-one, um, the Bible indicates that those whoever you know wherever they are, in some remote tribe or in a submarine under the ocean or um, you know wherever they are, there's there's something in in them that proclaims that God is there. And then also nature around us also proclaims that. So that we, there are th- certain things that we can tell about God um, just from looking at our surroundings and even within ourselves. And so if you look more at that in, in Romans 1, 18 through 21, you'll see that. Um, but basically that text is telling us that um, there's no one with, ex- with, with the excuse to say, well, you know, I just didn't know about God. Um, now they may not have known the whole gospel story. Maybe they didn't have access to the Bible or, or to Christians. That's something else. But that there, there's enough evidence to make someone um, guilty of of not of responding. But what happens um, if someone does want to respond, and they're in one of those those far off places? And I think that uh, this question comes down to really to fairness. What you know, we, we say, is it fair? Um, and there, I think we need to go and look at the, what the, the, at the character of God to be able to find our answer. We don't know all the, all the details, but the first thing we know is the character of God. The, the fact that Jesus died on a cross, that he paid that horrible penalty, not just for you and me, but it's the, the Bible tells us that he died for everyone. And so even the, the person that's very in the remotest part of the earth, Jesus died for their sins and paid for their sins. Um, and so that just shows how much God loves them. There's a text in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 4 and 5, that talks about the fact that God would that none would perish, but all would come to, to repentance. And so there, we have to look at the character of God, the heart of God, and that, that God loves every human being, but also that God is just. And so we can, we can trust in that. And then I think there are other passages that, that help us to realize that um, if there is someone out there open and looking, that I believe God would, will send them someone, even if they're in a very remote place. Um, I read a story this you know, recently in Christianity Today about a, a Brazilian a group of missionaries who went to this remote tribe in the Amazon jungles, I think. And when they got there, they had already prepared a hut for them. And they're like, how did you know that we're coming, basically? And they said, well, they had heard about Jesus on the radio. And so if Jesus, you know, if that's true, then he must he must be going to send them someone. So they prepared a hut. Um in Acts 17, verses 26 through 27, Paul is talking. Um, he's in Greece at the Acropolis, and he talks about the fact that God has has placed peoples in a certain time and order and ordered even the, the boundaries so that they would 
in a sense, looked for him. Um, that's It's a very interesting passage. But to think about the fact that being far away in some remote place isn't too difficult for God. He can take someone there. He can bring them out of that situation. There's so many refugees in the world today. Uh, just in, in, in Malaysia, they say 20% of the population are refugees from other parts of Asia that are more open, maybe, more accessible to the gospel. And so God can do a lot of different things to do that, to bring people to, to the place where they need to hear the gospel and have contact with a Christian. So I, I don't think that we, we need to, to worry about that. Um, we need to be faithful in our, because God has also given us the command to go out and share the gospel, not just here, but around the world. But ultimately, we, we're trusting in this heart that um, he, he, he loves us, he's fair, he's just, and he is, he is also sovereign. So, kind of a long question. answer, I'm sorry. No problem. Yeah, and I always am encouraged by even early on in Acts when Philip, um, the Ethiopian eunuch, was reading the scriptures trying to understand him, and God just, boom, put Philip there right with him. And Philip was under, able to explain the meaning to him. Um, and so we say that Jesus, well, well, not we, Jesus just said in the passage I read, and this one's for you, Mr. Pastor John. Um, why do we believe Jesus is uh, the way? Like the only way to heaven is there are multiple paths up the mountain. I heard that by some talk show host once. Um, well, I was a missionary in Japan, and um, just to illustrate what he said, the first person that came to our meeting was an older lady that had a Bible that she'd never read. And she said, I've been waiting to know who this God is. And she accepted the Lord. In other words, God has prepared hearts around the world, and all we need to do is get out there and, and preach the gospel. And, uh, you know, uh, if, if they're not lost and they don't hear the gospel, they're lost without hearing, then we shouldn't go out because by going out and preaching the gospel, we make them make a decision. So the logic is, you know, everyone is lost without Christ. So, okay, what was my question? The uh, way. Yeah, what is was he it? the only way? Is he is the, the only way. way. You know, First uh, Timothy 2 says there's only one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus Christ. And he's the only perfect person that's ever lived. And uh, by dying on the cross, he took all of our sins on his shoulder. So uh, there is no other Savior. You look at all the religions of the world. Nothing compares with Christ, the Savior of the world, the sinless Son of God. So there is no other Savior, although you can go to every country and they have their own Savior, but only one Jesus Christ. And I think uh, along this topic of salvation, uh, the toughest one we've faced as elders and pastors, I think, is the loss of a child or an infant. I can remember uh, as an associate pastor in the first Memorial service I was ever called to do was for my nephew Simeon, uh, who was a stillborn. And that just, I, I was not satisfied with being able to give some, I think this answer. It drove me to dig deep into question, how do you comfort and give like tangible comfort to somebody? And that actually journey has ministered to more people and opened more doors than I could ever imagine. And so, 
when we answer that question, we don't have this verse that just tells us what happens with infants uh, or a child before they're able to even comprehend the gospel. Um, we do know that we inherit a sin nature. We are born sinful through Adam, and we also choose to sin, uh, willfully choose to sin. But as Jerome said, and as you're going to see a pattern here today, we can look at human history and see the very character of God. And it always comes back to the fact that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust in that character. And in my studies, I read many things, but probably the one book that um, has changed the most lives in this area, and I can order some if any of you have dealt with this or dealing with this, um, Safe in the Arms of God by John MacArthur. Um, he goes through in this book, and he reasons from... Uh, the point of Scripture and talking about God's character, the history of God dealing with children, God dealing with people groups, and his character and how it's shown. Uh, and he comes to a conclusion, and it's the conclusion I come to, and that is, uh, I believe, based on my understanding of God's character, that those children are indeed in heaven. By the grace of God, saved through the blood of Christ, it is God who chooses to apply that, it's by grace we're saved, not by works. I don't believe it's by the faith of the parents that is then applied, because then it would be based on ourselves. But it's based on God and his character. And honestly, it's uh, something I may preach a whole sermon on sometime, but uh, it's a very thoughtful and good path that he takes us on uh, in reasoning with that uh, argument and that point that we can come down to and say, yeah, we, we don't have a verse it says 100% one way or another, but we do have the character of God, and I can say that I am resting and trusting that if, even if he did not, I would trust him. But knowing what I know through the scriptures, seeing how he's interacted, um, one of the best passages that people point to often is David and his sin and his adultery. Uh, he lost his son, and he, he says, you will not come to me, but I will go to you. And so even David had that hope of being with uh, his child again in heaven as he was coming to the Lord and repenting of his sins. Uh, that was part of his grief. And so that gives us hope there as well. So this is a, I'll be pointing out resources throughout this morning, but this is excellent. In fact, when I spoke on this in Texas, um, it so touched a few of the women uh, that one of our uh, gals was a delivery nurse at the time. He talked to the hospital. And they allowed our church to put boxes together for any woman who lost a baby at any point during the pregnancy, that precious life. And they got this book. And the stories we got back of the comfort and the couples I've been able to sit with and share this with um, and to just walk through that grief. Um, it's something that's real. And uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, this morning we do have that hope in Jesus Christ. And I believe that we have the character of a God who would sacrifice his own son. Um, so that we could experience salvation. And so there's anyone I can trust with that answer. It is God the Father uh, himself. And at that moment when we die, we talked about in the first sermon of this series, um, you know, what happens that moment after we die. And um, We didn't necessarily touch on some doctrines that some people have experienced throughout um, their time, either with Christianity or uh, different branches throughout history. Um, there are two concepts, one of soul sleep and one of purgatory, uh, that come out of different teachings. 
and different traditions. And so, uh, do you, uh, either of you uh, want to touch on either of those? Uh, uh, Jerome, you want to start? And then... Yeah, we can start with slow soul sleep. I think that um, as, as you're reading scripture, it can, it can be a bit confusing when there's language about talking about sleep. And so, for example, um, there's, there's a passage, there's, there's several passages. I mean, when, when Jesus talked to his disciples about Lazarus having died, he talked about him sleeping. And, and then they, so they were like, well, if he's sleeping, you know, or, you know, he's going to get better. And then Jesus had to clearly tell them that he had died. And he, he did, he used the same kind of language with uh, the young, girl that he he healed and uh, you know raised from the dead and then in later on in the New Testament Paul uses um, language about sleep as well for example um, in first Thessalonians 4:13 he talks about those who are asleep and so I'm talking about those who have already died and so it can be a bit confusing I think for people because of that language um, the best I understand this is that um, what they're what is being referred to is is that the body is asleep in the sense that it's in the grave, it's waiting the, the resurrection, so it's at rest in a certain sense. But the soul is the spirit of a person is is if they're a believer, there it's with it's with God. Um, Paul talks in about that in in Second Corinthians chapter five verses six through nine, um, where where he says he talks about being absent from the body, and being present with the Lord, and the fact that in that in the context of that passage he's talking about uh, kind of a longing for that to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. If he was just going to be sleeping, I don't think he would be you know that anxious to be in that state. <laughs> um, Paul was a, a, a very much about uh, helping people know Christ and grow in in his relationship, and in his he was very much about his relationship with Christ. And so, if he, if he was talking about just a period of where he would be sleeping, that doesn't really make sense in that context. Um, but he says he talks about being if we're absent from the body, then we're present for, with the Lord. So the spirit, my understanding is, is the spirit goes in directly into the presence of God at death waiting that final resurrection but the body is there still on in in the ground um kind of sleeping in a certain sense purgatory is um a catholic idea that's not found in the bible we don't we don't find it you know the bible talking about purgatory at all you look at um a passage like the story that Jesus told of Lazarus and the rich man and talks about there's two places there in that story there's uh, this place of torment where the rich man goes and then Lazarus goes to what the tech what what Jesus calls the the bosom of Abraham um, but you, you see it there there's two places there's a chasm they can't go between one or the other and, and so there's no third option there um, the rich man isn't like in this other place hoping that people will pray for him and maybe he can work his way um, you know, out of there into heaven. So the first response I would have to purgatory is that it's it's not biblical. We don't find it. But even a, even an, another maybe more important argument against it is the fact that that we are saved by grace 
through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're putting our trust in Jesus and what he did, and that is what makes us right with God. Um, it's not something that we're, we can do or add to. It's, it's Christ's finished work that allows us to go into heaven and to be with him. In the, with the whole idea of purgatory, it's um, you weren't good enough to go to heaven, but maybe you can work your way there. Um, or you get enough people to pray for you or pay for enough masses or, you know, there's these, these works that are trying to get you there. Or if someone like Mother Teresa had so many good merits that she just, you know, she had like, you know, way more than what she needed so she can share it with someone with you, then maybe that'll help you get out of purgatory too. Um, so it's a very, it's very unbiblical. The, the very, the, the biggest problem with that is is that it's, it's saying that Jesus' sacrifice is not sufficient. It was good, it helps, but you, the person has to add to that to, to be able to go to heaven. Um, and, and Jesus is very clear in, well, Paul in, in Galatians chapter 5, the context was um, they were trying... There were, there were these Judaizers who were telling the Galatians that they needed to add some works of the law to their relationship. And the particular, the particular thing that they were looking at was circumcision. Um, but in, in Galatians chapter 5, Jesus, it, it, Paul says uh, in verse 4, You have been... Um, I'm going to go a little bit farther down here. Um, So in verse 3, it says, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed for Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And I think that's very applicable to this situation, where if you're, if you're looking at Christ's finished work, as there's, it's get me this far, but I have to add to it to get to heaven. This passage seems to indicate that actually if you're adding to it, then you're, you've totally lost everything. You're fallen from grace. And so there's only one way to heaven, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. So that would totally rule out a place like purgatory. Um, and one final passage, it just says that um, you know it's appointed once unto man to die and then the judgment. And so um, there's nothing, you know, after you die, it's too late. You, you had to have made that decision beforehand. And that rules out a lot of other arguments that we hear today that aren't necessarily, it's not purgatory, but it may be like, oh, maybe we'll have another chance. Like maybe you'll be in hell for a while, and then you go, oh, you know, actually, I do believe the gospel, and, and then be able to go to heaven. Um, but it's it's what happens in this earth right now, is what's so critically important. And then once death comes, it's over, um, and we either go to one place or another. So earth is the deciding place. You know, your future is right here at this earth at this time, either down or up. I just want to add something on the children. I had an assistant pastor one time who, uh, when it introduced his family, would introduce three members. But we never saw the third person. Where is Jane? And we come to find out that they had lost this child in a miscarriage. And so whenever they introduce their family, this is Bill, Jane, and Sue. She's not with us, 
but she's in heaven. That's an interesting way to to remember your loved one. So anyhow, and then I just thought for children, you know, uh, there seems to be an age of accountability, maybe at seven, eight, or nine, in which God holds you responsible for your handling of Christ. And so I think children are protected after that age of accountability. We don't know what it is. Some churches name it, but uh, there is an age of accountability which you're responsible for your own decision with Christ. So need to keep that in mind. Well, I think uh, when we uh, when we die, our spirit uh, goes to be with the Lord. But it said the the body is not quite changed yet. So many of us are looking forward to the rapture, in which the Lord is going to come back suddenly, and we'll be with Him. And at that point, we receive a new body, sort of like Christ. You can go anywhere you want to, anytime you want to. I sort of like that. You can eat anything you want to without putting on weight, etc. That new body is going to be given to us at that time. But in the meantime, when we go to heaven, we're the spirit primarily, and it has a form, but that is not the final body. The final body is only when Christ returns in First Thessalonians 4, and we receive a new body at that time, and that'll be our eternal body. So um, we're sort of an interesting spirit for a while until the Lord comes back. And I'd... Uh... This way, when you're in conversations, you know, so this is conversation, so we'll jump all around. Just track us this morning. Uh, but um, we use that same logic and understanding of those who are mentally unable uh, to ever understand the gospel. We believe that uh, the gospel and that Jesus Christ's mercy and character will, will be applied in a, a loving way towards those uh, who have a mental handicap who are unable to even grasp the gospel. Um, and within that, it's a very challenging thing. We've talked about, okay, there's we're in the presence of God, and yet before we go into heaven, we know there's that great judgment it speaks of in Revelation, you know, that 20, 20 chapters I skipped over and went to the end to preach on. But uh, And within that judgment, it talks about, okay, we're already good with Christ. We are in heaven for eternity, and yet the Bible speaks of rewards. Um, so, Pastor John, what um, what do we understand about rewards and heaven. I know that there's a passage that says there will some be some that escape the fire, although by the skin of their teeth they'll get into heaven, but there'll be others who will be rewarded. So what do we understand about that as much as we can this side of heaven? Well, I think the first thing that happens when we pass away is we see Christ face to face and there is a judgment. And it's basically an award ceremony, sort of like our graduations now. And Second uh, Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one can be recompensed for the deeds in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the Lord looks over all of our life, and he either rewards us or he doesn't. But uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I run like crazy, like I'm in the Olympics, because I'm going to receive a prize. And then he probably says, I'm going to lay it at the feet of Christ. So there is a judgment of our life, not for salvation, that's already settled forever, but for your faithfulness, for the use of the talents that every one of us have. 
So he makes it clear how you use those, how you lived your life, will be judged for awards and rewards. So Jesus says, you know, in the last chapter, I'm coming soon and I bring with me awards and rewards for faithful living. So I think there's a lot of passages on uh, rewards that we receive. I don't know if you want to add to that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, we have this idea of trophies, um, you know, things that we're proud to put our shelf, put on our shelf. But I think um, we, when we're rewarded in heaven, it's a gift from God and they're going to be precious. They're going to carry this meaning of relationship from God and they're a gift. Just this salvation is a gift from God. Um, bearing and their result of fruit faithfulness. Now God produces the fruit. We are the ones who are faithful. And so it's another indication that we are part of his family and it's part of our inheritance. It's something he finds joy in giving to us. And uh, in our new character, as we talk about that there'll be no more uh, crying, no more weeping, no more sadness, no more sin. And in that character, I think we will, for the first time, be able to be truly happy for one another and not feel that pang of jealousy, uh, that brokenness of jealousy. And so uh, I believe we're going to see that within um, in that framework. And so uh, as we look at this and we talk about this, we often wonder about right here, the family of God, our family, our friends, our, our relationships in heaven, our personalities. Um, uh, in heaven, um, what's it going to be like? Who will we know and will we be uh, known? And so uh, we have a whole series of questions that some of you asked and some of my kids have asked. But um, And so will we be recognizable in heaven? Uh, who will we know? How will we recognize them in heaven? How? I mean, uh, what, what kind of clues do we have on any of that? Either of you want to jump in? Well, just just going back to the previous question, which t I think kind of ties into that too. There, there is some some indication that there may be roles that we have in heaven that were based on our faithfulness here. And so, talking about if you know they were faithful in um, taking care of certain things, then they'll be given this responsibility. You know, ten cities or whatever. Um, some of that could happen in the millennium, but it may also be um, later on. And so that. And it, that could also tie into Kevin's current question of uh, recognizing, you know, will, will we recognize Moses and will we recognize John? I would think so, but I'm going to let John answer the, give you the uh, the better the better answer. No. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we will recognize each other. Uh, I mean, it seems to be, and they recognize Moses and Elijah, and. Uh, I would think we keep some of the same relationships. I will always be a father to my children, I believe. I don't think we're going to reverse that in heaven. So our current roles, many of them will be the same. And remember when the saints died in the Old Testament, um, they said, you're going to be gathered to your fathers. So Isaac was gathered to his father. So we keep a father role. We keep a mother role. We keep a child role. That's uh, how else could we be identified? So I think we do keep those. We don't just go into a mutual pot, but we we keep who we are and our personalities. So I think, and also in John 15, Jesus emphasized, "Love one another as I have loved you." The greatest preparation for heaven has got to be 
building loving relationships. Because that's heaven. That's what it's like. And the best preparation I could ever make is to learn to love you and you, me, and get along with our kids and be Christ-like. I think that's the best preparation there is for heaven. Yeah. And I know at the, uh, in Revelation 6, it talks about those who gave their lives uh, standing up for their faith um, to the tribulation, the martyrs, and they, they cry out and they say, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Um, then they were each given uh, a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were killed as they themselves had been. And so they knew who they were. <laughs> they knew they had died for Christ. And they, uh, they knew that there were still yet more that would suffer and die for Christ. And they were pleading like, Lord, please return in uh, this. And uh, Jesus is comforting them there. And so I think we have that, and I think we understand it. It says, your name is written in the book of life. Your name. You will retain your personhood and how God created you with your unique gifts. And so uh, understanding that, we also understand that Jesus says in heaven, when they were trying to capture him, and we're going to hit on some of these tough passages coming up in Mark about marriage in heaven, and um, the Pharisees were trying to trick him. If a man has a couple wives, uh, which one will be his wife in heaven? And he said, in heaven, you will neither be married nor given in marriage. And that is either a celebration for some, or that can be like, oh, man, that's sad. Uh, because marriage, as we will see and talk about further in Mark, is given as a gift by God before sin entered the world. And as time moves on and we read through God's story here in the Scriptures, he uses marriage as a description of that relationship between us, the church, and Jesus, the bride, or we're the bride of Christ coming together. And so marriage is a very important institution that points us towards heaven and the good things of marriage are to point towards heaven. And now another pur purpose for marriage on earth is to multiply and uh, to grow and to have families and to have children. And in heaven, um, it seems that some of those purposes of marriage will be replaced by something even better, which is that relationship with Christ in his presence. Um, so anything to add on uh, relationships or marriage or um, that aspect of heaven, guys. Anything you want to kind of add into that? Um, well, just something that you uh, mentioned already, Kevin, in in your series of uh, just about nationalities. That that uh, in Revelation talks about the nations bringing their glory into the city, and the, just the high, the idea that somehow we're still going to be recognized as maybe being a part of a certain a particular people group. Um, and then it talks about, you know, that there's going to be people from every tongue and tribe worshiping God. And so um, there, there's that idea, too, is what, what that's going to look like. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going to look very different. But at the same time, there will be some something that still identifies us with our, our um, people group or nation. And I uh, was asked, what age will we be in heaven? And the... Uh, one article I read by a guy far smarter than I ever could try to be 
tried to reason with God, put DNA in each of us, and there's an optimal age for DNA, and that will be our age in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> That's my answer. Some of these answers today, you need to hear that. We, we just we don't know what age we will be, or what age a child would be, or in, uh, how that works, um, or how, how God works that. Um, he hasn't given us that piece of information, um, but I, I don't think that it will matter because we will be eternal and uh, the brokenness of our bodies. I do believe that those who had broken bodies or broken minds, uh, as we uh, read last week from Joni Erickson Tata, a quadriplegic, that, that they will be healed, they will be whole, uh, that brokenness of disease and sin uh, will be gone. And, and so it's called Heaven, Your Real Home. It's a book I'd recommend. It's a devotional book written by Joni Erickson Tata. Just tremendous uh, passages on her longing and her joy and looking forward to heaven. That's another one that I would really encourage you if you want to spend time ruminating on heaven or just get it in your mind more often. Um, that's a good resource. Yeah, um, I have 600 pages here, Kevin. Oh, you, you have more yeah. than me. Oh, yes. Uh, you always have, oh, wait. 700. Oh, okay. <laughs> and there are 30 other books on heaven. And uh, yeah. both of ours are by the same author, two different books. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, Randy been... Alcorn wrote a book on heaven, and yeah, uh, yeah he expands on it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the fact that he points out when Scripture is Scripture, and he says, based on Scripture, here's what I imagine it will be like. Yeah. And that's the majority of that book is his imagination, but I think it's good for us to tap into that. Yeah, I think he had a near-death experience and went to heaven, and he wrote the second book. Now, so, yeah, the uh, second book is just quotes. This okay. is uh, quotes of other people's perspectives on heaven, so it's a good yeah. resource. But uh, as we think about heaven, I, I know that we have thought about angels with harps sitting on clouds. Or uh, if you watch It's a Wonderful Life. And you get your wings, and you, you sit and you sing, and you praise God forever. And certainly uh, music is a huge part of heaven, uh, and the picture described in Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they don't get tired of repeating that chorus. And I think Dan and I have talked about this for like, because I think they're in awe and wonder of God's beauty and they're just getting the words out to let him know how amazing he is. And so um, thoughts about what we might be doing in the presence of God uh, when we are in heaven. What will life be like in heaven? Will we sleep? Will we work? Will we sing all day? What do you think? All of the above. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it does say uh, challenging us to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Have you ever sat next to anybody off key? Wouldn't it be good to be singing everybody's own key? So apparently we're all going to be able to sing uh, and praise the Lord. So, you know, let everything that has breath sing and praise the Lord. So we look forward to that. Yeah, I think... Um, the capabilities that we'll have in heaven. Um, before the fall, Adam was given a lot of work to do. And so I think we'll all be given tasks to do. Opportunity to serve the Lord with whatever talents we have. So I think we'll be busy all the time. And uh, all of it will be to his praise and his glory. So you won't be sitting around, from what I can tell. No, don't know exactly what you'll do, but you'll be busy 
and you can turn around and say thank you, Lord, with that. And I think um, we can serve the Lord fully in heaven. Right now, we're broken. Sin gets in the way. My laziness, I get distracted. I pursue earthly things. But we'll be able to fully give of ourselves to the Lord and to his work. And uh, the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and I shall be fully known even as I also am fully known. I shall fully know. And so to fully know and to grow in the knowledge of who God is, I think we will continue to learn and grow in the presence of God. We won't be all-knowing. We don't become Jesus Christ. Uh, so I think we'll be able to learn from God, learn about God. We'll be excited to learn about the new creation he has made. And um, we will fully understand who we are, the best parts of us that God has made us in his image that won't be tarnished anymore. And so each of you will shine like diamonds with many different facets and aspects of beauty. Um, and if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know that. You know the heart, father heart of God because you see the beauty in your kids. And in your grandkids, you see how unique they are. We'll be able to see that in ourselves and in others and celebrate how God made us each differently and created us for different purposes. And so however that works out, I'm excited uh, to be a part of that. And so it talks about the new heaven and the new earth coming down upon uh, one another. And last week we talked about the new heavens and the boundaries and, and what it's described as in the jewels and the beauty um, in Revelation. And so as we look forward to that place, um, yeah, are there any thoughts on uh, just that you guys have as far as, um, you know, will it be a, a con not a controversy, but a debate amongst believers who are going to heaven? Some say it'll be brand new, made from scratch. Some say this earth will be uh, remade, and God will take from this earth and restore it to its original beauty and beyond. Um, how do you all understand the new heavens and the new earth and what it might be like? Uh, yeah, in Revelation, you know, 2021, 20, the Lord does make it pretty clear that it's a new heaven and a new earth. So I don't think it's sort of the remade one. Anything remade in my mind is like my car. So I, I can't quite picture the remade earth being that nice. But it looks like it'll be a new heaven, new earth. There's no need for a moon or a sun or stars because the Lord is the light thereof. Uh, so I think uh, what he's creating we've never seen before or even imagined. So I, I, I lean towards brand spanking new. So I don't know which one of you wants this. This is our, probably our well, one of our toughest ones left. But uh, we will have continue to be ourselves in heaven. We will have free will, but we will not sin. How's that work? <laughs> I may have throw that one to the audience. <laughs> so that's a tough one, but yeah, how will that possibly work? Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a hard one. But um, you know, I, in the reference to to uh, marriage, you talked about that we would be like angels, um, and so there we'll we'll be totally you know restored, but even better. Than even Adam and Eve, I believe, and and so with that capacity to, to not sin for eternity, um, and to be kept that way by God, but at the same time, 
Um, I can't imagine that we would have choices here and not have choices there. So that's about all I could say is for, for a response. Now I think we can agree um, our stances and other believers who will be in heaven uh, view differently, and that's an area that we can remain unified in and have conversation about. But uh, I believe in the eternal security of those who follow Christ. And uh, some call it the perseverance of the saints. We think of that as an earthly doctrine, but that continues in heaven. It is God who guards us and keeps us. And it's Jesus who will not let one of his sheep stray. It is the Holy Spirit who seals us in adoption as his sons and daughters. And so in our free will and choosing to be with God, he is the one who will protect us and, and remove because he is holy and perfect and pure. He cannot have sin around him. And in James it says uh, he allows us now to be tempted. Well, he's not going to allow that anymore in heaven is the way I understand it. And so we can trust in him. Uh, the one that I know you've all been waiting for and wondering about, uh, how many of you have pets here? All right. Do all dogs go to heaven? Pastor John, what about our pets? What about Gigi and Prissy, your poodles? Yeah, I think they all go to heaven except my dogs. <laughs> yeah, miserable months. But uh, <clears throat> uh, I, I think the door is open for pets to be in heaven. Uh, you know, when God created the earth and uh, gave Adam responsibilities, he had a whole flock of animals to name. And then when uh, the flood came, the Lord allowed these animals to come on two by two. I went to Branson, and they had the ark there, and they had trained a lot of these animals to come on two by two. I've never seen anything like it. But anyhow, why animals there? And when Jesus was born, who was he surrounded by? Cows, I think, or whatever. But animals have always been a part of God's creation. So I think it's very possible that some of your pets that are good, I won't say, <laughs> I think it's very possible that they could be there because of these are the three examples that you see in Scripture. I wouldn't be too positive about that. But uh, anyhow, if you want to you believe that, I think you're pretty safe. Yeah, I think the uh, Scriptures have several passages that, and talk about animals um, and connect it with heaven um, and just laying at the feet of God. And so, you know, maybe there will even be new animals. We don't know. Um, but we do know that uh, Christ died for human beings, so we have a special relationship. We're created in the image of God. So we do make that separation, but we know that the animals were a gift from God. And so, uh, and he included them uh, in their celebrating, and we're called to, uh, be good stewards of creation, including animals. And so uh, they're an important part. Um, I think maybe uh, in heaven it will be vegetarians. Yeah, what about yeah. bacon? So tell us about, will there be yeah, bacon, ba bacon in heaven? Yeah, bacon, uh, bacon, what are we going to do about that? Well, <clears throat> I think you could do without it. But, you know, in the millennium, it says that the lion will learn to graze. In other words, he won't be carnivorous. He won't be killing animals. He'll be living on hay. And so I sort of take that over to heaven to say if there are animals, um, they won't be eating each other. They'll be nice and calm. So that's a possibility. Yeah, uh, yeah, no dying pain or suffering. And so if animals are there, we would think that might extend to them. And uh, But God provided manna from heaven, and he's going to provide uh, even better buffet than we have ever seen.
And so as we look at this, I'd encourage you to keep digging in. We want to be a place where we can investigate the scriptures, ask questions, dig in and pursue the Lord. In three uh, three or four weeks from now, we're going to have a guest speaker. He's going to talk. Uh, he's from uh, the Alpha Omega Institute. He knows the Van Hooks, and we uh, grew up with the people who started that uh, creation science. And so he's going to come and talk about how the heavens and the immensity of the universe on uh, June 16th, or no, June 23rd, I believe he's coming. And he's going to talk about how we can see God in creation and the expanse of the universe. And so we, we want to keep investigating and uh, putting our faith forward. Um, and so as we close this morning, thank you guys for the work you've done. And we're always available for questions, for prayer, uh, for things you're struggling with to understand. Um, and so a couple of our uh, favorite good passages, it says, Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This morning I ask you, where is your treasure? Where? What are you working for? It says this, since this you have uh, in Colossians 3, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then Hebrews 12:28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your kingdom cannot be shaken. Your plans cannot be thwarted. Oh, Lord, may we have hearts that seek to store up treasures in heaven. May we have hearts that desire to be with you. And it's exciting. It's okay to talk about heaven and to wonder about the what ifs. You want us to be excited and to wonder like a, a child wondering what's going to happen on their birthday or what's inside that gift. We can't even begin to imagine the gifts you have for us and that you are good. And so, Heavenly Father, restore that awe and wonder to our hearts and that excitement about being with you and that trust that your character transcends even the hardest questions and most difficult circumstances we face here on this broken world. May we have that hope that surpasses understanding. In Jesus' name.